Welcome to Don't Shrink Back. I'm Heidi Harris. This is the podcast version of a video series that we do. Don'tshrinkback.com is the website. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Don't Shrink Back. Don't Shrink Back comes from the Bible, Hebrews 10.39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. We encourage people to stand up for their values, stand up against tyranny, and we celebrate and highlight those people on this video series and podcast. So don't forget to check out don'tshrinkback.com for all the information. Let's get right into my conversation with Bree Dressen. This is the audio version of the video I did with her, and you can check that video out at don'tshrinkback.com. Now, Bree Dressen came to my attention initially when she testified before Senator Ron Johnson, God bless him, uh, in one of his hearings. And so I was lucky to be able to get a hold of her and be able to talk to her today. And she has been a tireless champion on behalf of those who are vaccine injured. She is the co-chair of react19.org. So check out the website. I'll put all that information in the description at the end of this video. You'll be able to see it. Bree, thank you for being here so much. Thanks for having me. So now talk a little, first of all, for those who don't know, you were somebody who volunteered to be part of the testing of AstraZeneca, correct? Yeah, I enrolled in the clinical trial that was held here in the United States for AstraZeneca. Is that the first time you've ever enrolled in a clinical trial for anything? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, God bless you for doing that because, you know, we, those of us who take any kind of prescription drugs, whatever they are, uh, really rely on people like you who are willing to step up and take that chance. So I hope you don't beat yourself up about it, but you were trying to do something to help people. And, and I honor you for that. So let's start with that. Well, thanks. I yeah, that's, that's certainly not how you expected things to turn out, but we do appreciate that your, your sentiment. So you enrolled in the trial and obviously they do a very detailed study of your physical health before you can enroll in the trial, correct? Yeah, it was it was a long contract and they went through everything with me page by page. They committed to pay for any medical expenses if there was an injury. Um, they committed to help me medically uh, <laughs> with different providers. And uh, yeah, and they, they also committed in the document that they would collect all the, the information and the data for two years. So- okay. Yeah, they. Uh, I really didn't have any reason to suspect that things were going to go sideways. Right. Um, it was, you know, if they put it in writing, and it's a big corporation that puts something in writing, and they sign it, and they date it, and everything mm-hmm. else, you know, there wasn't really any reason for me to doubt uh, the process at that time. Right. now, So you said it was the first time you'd ever done that. Uh, what encouraged you to do that this time? Just the uh, looking at the situation with COVID and wanting to do whatever you could to help speed something toward helping other people. Is that the, your motivation? Yeah. You know, I've always wanted to be part of the solution. And, you know, and even before my injury, I thought I was being part of the solution. I thought I was being part of the, you know, the reason um, that we could get out of the pandemic sooner. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of stuff in the news at the time about how they needed clinical trial participants so we could get this stuff, you know, in the market and blah, 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 blah. And I soaked all of that up, right? Mm-hmm. So my go-to news was NPR. I thought that was very bland and neutral news. Little did I know that they're one of the most liberal outlets out there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I I went in it trusting 100%. I believed in the, the science, the trademark science. Mm-hmm. But with that said, I still do fully believe in the science, just the real science. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Now you had the first, so they went through the entire, obviously physical history, decided you were a good candidate. You had how many shots of AstraZeneca and what happened after you had whichever shot? One shot. One shot, had one shot. That's all it took within an hour. I'm, I had tingling down my arm. Um, kind of similar to what you experience if you fall asleep on a limb Oof. all night and it's really painful and that tingling feeling mm -hmm. um, and it just feels your limb feels really fat. That's what it felt like. Yeah. <clears throat> so I thought that was strange. And uh, then within an hour or by the time I got home, my vision had become blurred and doubled and wow. had become distorted. I'm sorry, my voice, uh, it spasms sometimes now. Thanks. Wow. That's, oh. that's crazy. So within an hour, so immediately you knew you had problems or you were suspecting, you're thinking, this is weird. This doesn't seem right. Because like everyone, I'm sure you'd had shots before. I have, we all have, I had all my vaccines when I was a kid and whatnot, and I'm not against shots and all that. And so you thought, you know, you're thinking this is crazy to get this reaction. Yeah. And, and actually for months, you know, my husband and I just kept looking at each other going, I can't believe a vaccine would do this. There's no way a vaccine could possibly. Mm. And and at that time, we had never heard of anybody else that had had an injury. Um, now, you know, my eyes are wide open and we've met many people that have been harmed in a very similar way from previous vaccines, um, oh, especially yeah. the HPV vaccine. Um, so it's, it's, you know, this information control, you know, we're, we're a very obvious, um, you know, evidence that the information control is, is an issue. Oh, um, going on for decades at this yeah. point. It's harder to get the information that you want. You tried to look into it. You're a smart woman and you thought you were getting the information and you purposely worked. They purposely filtered anything they didn't want you to see. And that's what's so disturbing about this entire situation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see how they're able to control people mm -hmm. just by manipulating the information and by putting labels on people, you know, mm -hmm. and to be honest, both sides do it. Right. So Yep. This one is very obvious that it's, you know, anti-vax. And now you're seeing stuff that comes out like anti-government, blah, 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 blah. But really all that's doing is it's just giving the person that needs to have their thoughts and concepts challenged. It's, it's giving that person the excuse not to examine. And they don't. And I know that because I was one of them. You just yeah. don't look. And you can't find what you're not looking for. That's right. That's right. So Dr. Kelly Victory said, I've interviewed here many times. And these, you know, th these people who are uh, passing away suddenly and nobody's even asking mm -hmm. questions. I'm telling you, Bree, if, if dogs were dropping dead while chasing Frisbees, people would be marching on the dog food companies, right? And kids will drop dead playing soccer or football or in their dorm room. And we're talking kids. And I've been talking about the young adults. And everybody goes, huh? What? Oh, bummer. And moves on with their lives. It's insanity to me. I don't, I don't get that part of it. At least ask. It may have nothing to do with the shot, but at least where's the curiosity? Where's the demand for a detailed autopsy to find out what happened to your 16-year-old daughter who was healthy yesterday and now is not alive? That's been the most astounding. Well, one of the most astounding aspects of this to me. I think uh, the sad thing is, is they are examining this. Um, we have evidence of this at the National Institutes of Health. They mm -hmm. flew a bunch of us in. Um, they studied us. They tested us. They prodded us. They gave us diagnosis. They gave us treatment. Um, and they are still flying in very interesting cases. But the problem is, is they're still not telling the public about what they're doing and the information they're collecting. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's very easy to, you know, say, hey, you know, 
there's clotting going on because you can't deny clotting. You can't deny myocarditis. It shows up on labs. The rest of these injuries you can hide. And the problem with the fatalities is um, the family members, they, by and large, they, they themselves don't recognize what it was. They, they trust the doctors. The doctors tell them, ah, oh, it's, you know, an, an anomaly, you know, right. and, and I, and the only reason I stress this is because I know the intercommunity currently that has dodged death, you know, um, most of us have had a very, very close brush with death. Mm-hmm. And our own families don't believe us. And the only way that the word is going to get out is because we survived, right? And um, and we had to go then and convince our family members, there's something not right with my body. There's something Ooh. going on. I know it was the vaccine because it happened, you know, within an hour, or within a day of my shot. What else could it be? This is totally foreign. I've never mm-hmm. experienced anything like this in my life. Yeah. But it's our job to go and then convince. So the people that die there's no voice for them. They're yeah. completely voiceless. And then you've got people that are not performing autopsies. And if they are, it's at, you know, institutions where they're not going to talk. When did you get that shot? The one AstraZeneca? November 4th, 2020. 20, okay. November, okay. 2020. All right. So, so how, how long, what other things happened? And then how long before you went, the light bulb went off and you went, wait a minute. I called, I called that following morning. Cause the following morning I got up to get ready for work and my left leg was slumped. And I was walking into the left doorways and then at work, it just progressively got worse. My sensitivity to light and sound ramped up to the point where I had to have the kids parked in front of a learning channel with the TV on. And I was just holed up in the corner. I had the lights off and I was just waiting for the parents. to Wow. Get that was the last day that I taught. So it was very obvious that there was something wrong. So we called the test clinic. They didn't respond. We mm. called the test clinic the next day. My symptoms were getting worse. They didn't respond. So I was like, Maybe this is actually how this is supposed to go because these guys should be calling if there was actually a problem, right? So they finally called back on the third day, had me come up and they said, yeah, this, this isn't normal. You need to come up. And they did an eval and they said, oh, it looks like you have MS. So, and if it's not MS, we need to know because then we're going to have to report this back to AstraZeneca right away and they're going to have to put the trial on hold. So that's what the communication was. They did not provide a neurologist for me. They did not help me find a neurologist. I had to go find the neurologist myself. And that neurologist sent me to the ER. In the ER, they ran all the tests and they ruled out that it was not MS. It was not some pre-existing issue with my body, uh, but they didn't know what it was. So I was sent home to decline. Um, But the, the involvement with the test clinic after that was, you know, it was pretty frustrating. They didn't return my phone calls. And if they did, it was, you know, to ask a couple of questions here and there. There was no financial support provided until a reporter called them and asked for a statement. Wow. And they offered me a settlement of $590. And I said, no. And they wired the $590 to my account anyway. And then I never heard from them again. Um, wow. (laughs) And then if that wasn't enough, um, then six months later, another reporter called them asking for a statement and they said, oh yeah, we've issued a settlement offer to Brianne Dressen, but we, um, and we're just waiting for the response while they were on the phone with that reporter, they emailed a settlement letter to my email and the settlement letter was for $1,200. And right when that email came through, I was getting a infusion of immune globulins that cost $1,200 every two weeks to get at the time. Oh, so yeah, so that, that didn't go well. We, we told them no. Um, they misspelled my name wrong 
in the letter because obviously it was rushed. Um, and to get that amazing offer of $1,200, I would have to sign away all of my rights uh, for mm -hmm. future funds and absolve them of any responsibility of, of my injury. So we didn't sign that and we told them to go back and try again. Um, so the long and the short of it is uh, within two and a half weeks of my injury, I landed in the hospital after four ER visits. My legs had stopped working right. They were just kind of noodly. Um, I had become incontinent and my sensitivity to sound and light had become so severe that I couldn't be around my small children. I'd be holed up in a room all the time with the darkest sunglasses I could find Wow! in my ear. And then, on, and then with the earplugs in, I had to have like shooting earmuffs over my ears. Like it was, it was terrible. Wow. So, and then the, uh, the drug company, they dropped me from the trial. They called and said, Hey, you know, we want to make sure that you don't get another one. So yeah. they recommended I, yeah, no problem. <laughs> no worries, yeah. but it wasn't going to, <laughs> I said, yeah, no problem there. So, but what we didn't know at the time is that that provided a convenient loophole for them to um, no longer need to, you know, address my case. Okay. So you're out, you're out of the, you're out of the test. So they they don't, they just feel like you don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then when the, when the report came out, it was very obvious that this uh, suspicion mm -hmm. that we had was true um, because the, the report, I'm not in it. And my, uh, they say that they follow all adverse events for up to 730 days. They stopped mm -hmm. my case at day 60. And they say that all of the patients that did not get the second dose, they just chose to not get the second dose. There's nothing mm -hmm. about a certain wow. percentage of severe adverse events and, and, you know, needing to cease, you know, the, the treatment trial. So unbelievable. Yeah. So there's a lot of weird little things that if you, if you look at it from the outside and you look at that report, it looks like they did a fantastic job and that it's very thorough and they did their, you know, they did everything they should. But in reality, when, when you actually sit down and look at what the numbers actually should say, it's, it's a marketing piece. So, oh, yeah. and this is, this is something that's in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is the premier medical journal in the world. Um, and we reported my injury to the New England Journal of Medicine and asked for a revision. And uh, not just anyone responded at the New England Journal of Medicine, the chief editor, who's Eric Rubin, and he went down in history for infamously saying, uh, we won't know what happens with these vaccines until we start giving them to kids. He's also on the FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee. He's the guy that responded to me and he refused to investigate. He refused to connect us with the drug company to get them to investigate. There's no interest in the scientific community to investigate. There's no interest at the federal level. Well, they are investigating. We can talk about that too, but um, to disclose what they've investigated to the public and uh, the drug companies, as we all know, um, they're, they're not going to make right for this because you know, there's no checks and balances to hold them accountable. Oh, no. And they own all the media. We know that they own the cable channels. They own the media, all the big pharma. And that's a big problem. So how is it then that once again, November 2020 was when you had the first uh, shot, the first and only of AstraZeneca. At what point did you become aware that there were a lot of people like you? Because I know that obviously the medical community wants to, to tell you there's nothing, you know, it's all in your head, you know, whatever. But when did you start to become aware and talk about the creation of React 19? Because God bless bless you. You have worked so hard to try to gather people, help people do whatever you can. You, you know, you could just get into a corner and curl into the fetal position and just check out of life. And you're not going to do that. You're trying to help people. So talk to me about how you first became aware that there are other people like you out there. 
Um, I think it was at the height of my despair, to be honest. Um, at the time, we had reported my injury after AstraZeneca had, you know, started marketing in the U.S. even before they were approved. Um, so at the time um, of that, we reported my injury to the National Institutes of Health. My husband, he's a chemist, so he understood how this process works. And the NIH took it seriously. And within 10 days, they pulled AstraZeneca from the running here in the United States. Okay. So at the time, I thought I was an anomaly. I thought that I was really, truly like a very rare few, right? And I, and I felt really bad because I knew that this was going to be implemented in other countries in the world. And they were going to be throwing this onto the poorest of the poor countries, right? Um, but at the same time, if they did it here, the medical care would have been the same. I didn't get anything right. better, there was nothing <laughs> right. for me either. So anyway, so after about six months of this, um, dealing with this totally on my own, thinking I was, you know, one in probably a million, right? I started to find others like me and I found Dr. Denise Hertz. She's an injured gastroenterologist in, in California. And um, Christy Dobbs, who's um, she's actually one of them named in the lawsuit that we filed this week. And it just grew, but it, it grew far faster than any of us suspected. It started with a small email chain. And then before we knew it, there were hundreds put it wow. out on a couple of support groups. And then there were thousands within six weeks. And so at that point, um, we realized that you know, we had been pounding down the doors of the government. We had been reaching out to the drug companies. We've been reaching out to research institutions across the globe. And we weren't getting anywhere. Um, and so that's when we realized we needed to start acting. And so that's when we, you know, originally reached out to all of the politicians, which because I'm NPR watcher, listener, mm -hmm. uh, we started with the Democrats. We started with Ted Lieu, who's on the COVID committee. We started with the blue and they we were met with closed doors and that was wow. it. And then, you know, as time went on, we started seeing more and more of these cases pile up, more and more people, very desperate, scared people pouring into these support groups. And so then we started branching out, right? So we started hitting up Republicans, which as you've seen, there's not very many Republicans that will pick this oh, up. Either. Right, they're, they're they're most of them are the same. We put them in the same boat, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're all they all have a very powerful, you know, they're all under the hands of the pharmaceutical. Yeah, they're running scared. They're in survival mode. They don't want to tick off big pharma. We all know it. Yeah, it's a popularity contest. That's one thing I've learned. Mm -hmm. It's uh, anyway. So yeah, so that's when we reached out to Senator Ron Johnson, um, and he was. It was pretty interesting because you know we were all a bunch of Democrats, yeah. and here we are with Senator Ron Johnson. We find out you know the week before he'd been canceled from YouTube, and we're like, oh crap, this isn't a good idea. But Anyway, so we get on this call with them. Well, nowadays, if you get canceled from YouTube, you know, you're obviously doing something. I've been it's in that situation myself. Yeah. It, it is a badge of honor. You're not saying anything unless you've been canceled from YouTube. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, that, and that's what's kind of interesting because this was like the slowest, hardest red pill process for me. But, <laughs> and I wouldn't have believed any of it had I not lived it, you know, had a front row seat to this nightmare, you know, but I 100% know what I'm saying is true because I've lived it and it's been horrible, but, and it's not just the reaction. So Senator Johnson, he gets on this call with us and, um, and we didn't know anything about him. You know, we we're like, oh, here comes another politician. We'll see how this goes. And he, um, he sat there and listened to us. And, and when we, when we share our stories, I'm sure you've heard them, but there's a lot of 
pain that comes out of these stories. Oh, no. You know, the life, the heart, the lives are changed. Um, there's, there's always, you know, it's like Ernest Ramirez, and you listen to his story. Oh, how absolutely, how killed like, it. For those who don't know, and I'm going to get him on this, this broadcast. His son, his son was 16 years old, and his son, his only child in the world. Not that if you have 20, it doesn't matter, but one uh, died from the shot, and uh, he has been a tireless uh, champion too. He's God bless him. It's you know, just you, you've got to work through pain. Yeah, yeah. You know, to so, try to, to... you know, it's like those kinds of stories that mm -hmm. they, they make you stop and, and think, you know, it gives you an appreciation for your own life and, and for the health of your children. Right. Um, but then it also makes you go, how did this happen? Right. So right. Johnson, I just remember him on this call and he just kept his head down most of the time. And just you could hear the pencil scratching on the paper. Mm -hmm. You could hear him writing notes and he just kept writing, writing and just kept shaking his head and. Every once in a while, I don't go, okay, tell me more. Right. And so, wow, that had to be shocking to actually have a politician yeah. want to listen to you. Wow. Yeah. And he was, he was a true gentleman, you know, he was incredibly empathetic. And, you know, at the end he was just like, you guys, I, I had no idea it was this bad. And he stayed with us for a full hour and a half beyond our call time, which everybody should understand when politicians, when you have a call with a politician, right. You get 30 minutes and that's it. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting there talking about what, um, you know, if you wanted to die, when that 30 minutes is up, it's right. done. They're out and they're right. on to the next thing. Yeah, so, right. so it's a really big thing for him to dedicate his time, you know, to this issue. So then and there, you know, it really, it really helped us put our guard down. You know, the years and years of programming that we had had, you know, put into our brains with, you know, you shouldn't take these guys seriously. These guys are quacks. All of those things mm -hmm. that they do to discount the other side, right? right? So he helped, he really helped pull all of those barriers down so we could actually get to work and make some make some real change. So that's when he held his first press conference for us in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And that was in June of 2021. Yeah. Um, after that, that was the first time that this had actually hit mainstream, you know, um, this conversation actually got out of the echo chamber as mainstream as it's going to get yeah, still have to look for yeah. it, but at least it was out there and you were able to testify along with doctors who've dealt with this situation and other people, you were able yeah. to have your stories heard, which was really the first time publicly that had been allowed. Right. Yeah. First time ever. And so within 24 hours of that first press conference. So the first time we were able to actually start kind of pushing on those buttons, right, to, to bother the people in power. Um, within 24 hours, they found one of our support groups and shut it down. Wow. Um, within five days, they found the other one, and they killed that one, too. So within um, a week, we lost contact with close to 4,000 COVID vaccine-injured Americans, um, which if you think about that, it's, you know, People that are desperate, sick, isolated, there is one thing that they, like, the last thing that they need is to be gaslit and isolated. So we took very vulnerable people that were afraid for their lives. They didn't know what was going on with yeah. their bodies. And emotionally, they were not in a good situation. Mm -hmm. And then isolated them. It just compounded them it. It's terrible. I've interviewed some of these yeah. people and their stories. I mean, some of them can't, they can barely walk. I mean, you know, the stories you, yeah. you've heard them all. They break your heart on uh, many of them are suicidal. Uh, mm -hmm. I see the stories even on Twitter, people I haven't talked to or talked to yet, uh, or just, I mean, they're, they're at, at, at 
the end of the ropes and then to, to isolate them and to to try to separate you again. I mean, it wasn't bad enough. They put masks on it for a couple of years, which did nothing except separate people and isolate people and prevent people from having conversations. And now they continue to do that. So they just went in and shut down. How did they shut down the support group? Was it on an internet and they shut that down? How did they do that to you? Yeah. So these two support groups, they were on Facebook and Facebook. Just oh, of course. Just yeah, and it's, it's as simple as one guy somewhere or girl. Yep. You know, one trick, one triggered brat. Yeah, one kid in his pajamas at his parents' house. house. And the problem is, is when they shut down the group, then that means that the admins, so those of us that were in leadership positions um, over the group, and, you know, we took it very seriously. We felt like we had kind of a stewardship and a responsibility very early to kind of help these people because I was one of the first, right? There's Olivia Tessinar, who's also a clinical trial participant with Moderna who's injured. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we're going to take the knowledge and the information that we were right. developing, you know, through my husband and then also through mm -hmm. the NIH, because we were working with the NIH at the time. And we're going to share that with these people, right? Because there is nothing else out there. And so then they took our vessel and our one mm -hmm. platform to share that information with other people that were suffering and made it disappear. Just poof, gone. They're, they're so, so, they are so, they kicked me off of YouTube just for putting a little quick video on that said uh, the five reasons I wouldn't take the shot. I've never told anybody else not to take a shot. I, I'm not qualified. I would never do that. But just my five reasons, they kicked that off YouTube and off Vimeo just for that. And I, I'm not a you know bomb thrower kind of person, but they don't want any alternate points of view. And that's what you've discovered, thinking that NPR had a, a balanced point of view and all these different things. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm not making fun of you because, you know, it, it, there's a lot of you don't get the truth on either side, you know, on cable news. And we all know right. that. Right. Yeah. So but the I, I guess the shocking thing. Well, I guess nothing should shock me. It's not that any of us put our trust necessarily in government, but there, that's the reason that we have certain federal agencies is to provide safety, whether it's for, you know, our, you know, national defense, obviously, or to make sure that the food that we eat is safe or the cars that we drive are safe. Or th that's why they're there. And it shouldn't get political and it shouldn't be about who pushed a shot or left or right or whatever. It should be about making sure that people get something that's not going to hurt them. That's the way, you know, it used to be. And we used to assume that I can eat this uh, food out of this box because of lawyers or the government or whatever else I can do that. And that was the assumption that a lot of people had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's it's what you're taught in school, right? Your First Amendment right, your constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. So in this case, every under the guise of emergency, right, our rights were stripped. That's right. So how is that constitutional? How is that okay, right? And they think that it's for the, the sake of public safety. And we are very obviously the clear evidence that there was something very wrong with those policies, right? right? And the fact that they were not just kind of doing it, they were very outward with their policies, they were very shameless about it. And they and they packaged it in a way that the public, they they felt that that was the reasonable thing to do you know, that this was to keep everybody safe, everybody protected. Right. But when it comes well, down to it, way, it really way, some matters. believe that some believe that some others believe it, didn't, yeah. others knew darn well, it wasn't going to keep anybody safe or protected. And they wanted to just keep you quiet and compliant. I mean, I do believe there's a combination of people who are nefarious folks at the top, right. Who either they're going to make money or power or whatever control. I don't believe everybody's like that. I do believe there were some people who legitimately thought they, you know, to be safe. We've got, we don't want to put misinformation out there, right? Because people won't take the shots or they won't stay indoors or they won't wear a mask. If, you know, there were people who legitimately believed in that, but unfortunately there are a lot of folks who benefited from stoking the fear 
and trying to keep everybody panicked and, and they, whether they made money or whether they continue to have more power as a result of it. I mean, it's fear is such a powerful thing. And I guess over the last three years, we've all been reminded, haven't we, how powerful it is. Well said, well said. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, cause yeah, the red pill process, it's a real process. I think it's something that, you know, somehow we've got to figure out how to break through to the moldable middle though. And that's, that's right. where, you know, I, I really think that, you know, our family members and, you know, some of us are friends that are still kind of stuck in that other world. And to me right now, it feels like they're kind of sitting in this alternate universe. Like we've been plucked out of the matrix. Right. Right. And so it's, it's like, how do we, how do we deliver this message in a way that is not, you know, going to upset them to the point where their ears just turn off. Right. So it's like, yeah. how can we approach them with their perspective and try to help them see what has been done, not just to us, but to them as well, right? Because they've been manipulated, they've been lied to. Right. And once that happens, once we finally start getting a little bit more of that momentum, which I do believe is happening, I do. Yeah. Um, but if we can keep pushing that that avenue um, to the, the broader public, um, I think that only then will we be able to actually get some of this stuff changed because yeah. we absolutely need public pressure um, but we cannot do it with, you know, people that are stuck and shoved into a corner, which we are. Um, so we've, we've got to get more people to see it and more people to understand it, which I will say um, the conversations I've had with my many, many Democrat friends over this last year, it's been interesting because I've kept those doors open. Right. Um, right. These people knew who I was before I got injured. So they believe me 100 um, percent what's going on. But they also. They also um, weren't really sure on, you know, how widespread it was, but it's I don't think anybody incredible. is yet. Do they? I mean, I mean, we know yeah. what we're hearing now. We don't know how it'll be in five years, do we? We really don't know. Yeah, because I, I know plenty of people yeah. like you do who've had the shot who are okay right now, right? Yeah. And so that's yeah. what they'll say. Well, I know somebody who's had the shot. Everybody I know is fine. And, and God, that's wonderful. I, that's wonderful well, news that's, to hear. That's the thing. It's like, okay, so where where's the empathy in this? Like leadership you know federal leadership they encouraged us to be so unempathetic to the alternative right oh, right uh -huh. we were never all in this together and that was right. my frustration from day one everybody had a different situation and some people couldn't stay home in their pajamas and make a living and so to make them feel bad as if they're going to kill someone they've never even met because they dare to try to make a living was just so wrong to me yeah yeah and we and we know the people that uh went down that route and mm -hmm. they took the gamble they didn't know that it was a gamble um and now their lives are completely messed up so um andre cherry he's a young college kid from philadelphia mm -hmm. incredible kid musician incredibly talented and now he has to be uh with someone 24 7. he cannot be alone any minute of any day because he had some terrific um, seizures that take over his entire body. If he's sitting in his wheelchair, it launches him out of his wheelchair. And he just... Wow. It's the most um, upsetting thing, um, seeing these types of people that they were healthy, they were fine, they did what the government asked of them, mm -hmm. and now their lives are completely ruined. And then the government is just gone, right? So... Um, so when we say, you know, if something happens to you with the COVID vaccines, you are on your own. 
we do not take that statement lightly. There is nothing for you between the 1986 Act, Vaccine Act, and then also the PrEP Act. There is no one to be held accountable for your injury. If you go and you get hit by a car, there's probably a litany of people that, you know, and there's an investigation that happens. You can go to the hospital and say, I was hit by a car. But with this, none of that is on the table. You're hopefully going to be lucky enough to find random people on the internet that just happen to have the secrets from the NIH. You're going to be lucky if you can find, you know, people like yourself that are willing to share the truth. Otherwise, you're just going to be sitting in your bed and have no idea what's happening to you. You feel so alone. And I I see these stories and it breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. So now you, and you're obviously still suffering some symptoms. Talk to me about the treatments that you're having now. You're, are they helping you? And and you're saying that, are you still doing the ones that are $1,200 every two weeks? Yeah. So yeah. And you know, inflation is great. So my, uh, my monthly expenses are $2,700 a month right now for my uh, medical expenses. And that's for my immune globulin. It costs $189,000 a year. Um, and that's what's keeping me alive. So it's essentially a medicine that has, uh, it's infused in your veins and it's got 1,000 to 10,000 people's immune cells in a bag. And then it goes okay. into your body. So yeah, between that and there's several several other things that I'm trying. How is that counteracting what AstraZeneca did to you? And how do you know that's keeping you alive? So, because before I wasn't on it. And so um, I couldn't get out of my bed. Um, so. When I, I was actually one of the lucky people that was able to go to the NIH um, to be researched in this area. Mm. And uh, while we were there, they told us not to talk about it, by the way. Of course. So, yeah. So when we were there, um, they gave me this treatment. Um, but just to kind of show the contrast, I so to get to the National Institutes of Health, I had to get on an airplane. Right. So. I was in a wheelchair and I was all shaky and like one of those little dogs that's neurotic sitting in the stupid wheelchair going to the, the gate. And at the gate, my husband had to lift me out of that wheelchair, put me on the ground so I could lay on the ground. So I'm laying on the ground shaking and the flight attendant comes over and is like, is she going to give whatever that is to other people? And my husband's like, no, dude, you can't. You can't wow. Can't. So then on the way home after this treatment, Um, I was able to at least sit in the wheelchair, right? And then I was able to come home and sit in a chair in my house, right? Mm -hmm. When before my body was so dysfunctional, there was, I was either flat or I tried to get up and walk and it was, it was, it's a dramatic difference. So basically what's happening is my immune system is attacking my nervous system all the time. And so if you, if you know what MS does, so MS is, you it know, affects the myelin sheath and, and the nerves and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So then, you know, and the nervous system is everything, right? Mm-hmm. Your your gut, your brain, how you move, how mm-hmm. your heart beats, all of that is connected to your nervous system. And so if there's an attack on your nervous system, all of that goes awry. It all goes bye-bye. So mm-hmm. right now, like right now, I mean, I, I, I probably don't look the best, but um anyway, so to here on my hands, this is, it feels like I've got sandpaper being rubbed against my hands all the time, 24 seven. There's nothing that breaks it Wow. that way on my feet. My ears right now, it's a screaming, um, buzzing in both ears. It's really brutal. Um, my vision is better now, but you know, I've got this huge cold sore because my body just kind of kicks these up every, I want to say it's every month to six weeks. So 
yeah, I still have problems. And then my hands will go weak now. They just stop working for a couple of days because of the neuropathy. So this medicine is keeping, is staving off that progressive neuro, neurological decline yeah. because it's, it's telling my immune system to not attack my nervous system. And okay, got it. Yeah. So this is, you know, and there's a lot of people that have been diagnosed with this. It's actually far more common than, than it should be. That and small fiber neuropathy is another thing that's, that's very common on the neurological side for people. Um, Maddie DeGarry got diagnosed with CIDP and she's, she just turned 15 two days ago. Mm -hmm. And this is not something I would ever, ever, ever wish on a child, um, or an adult, to be honest, anybody. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's something that when people actually look at going to get vaccinated, they need to understand that there, yes, 100%, there are neurological complications to the COVID vaccines. And if you get it, your life is screwed. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to go back to normal. Um, if you draw that short straw, that's it. So, but I do want the injured to understand that we're still trying to find the cure, you know, and I'm still working to get remission. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's crazy. So I don't want to get too in your business on this, but at $2,700 a month, I mean, I, most people can't, I mean, I've talked to so many people who are vaccine injured, they can't even work anymore. I mean, there's no way they yeah. could do that. So is that something you, that your insurance is paying for your husband's insurance? I, like I said, I want to get too in your business. Here. Yeah. Yeah. No, we do have insurance The the expenses are way too high um, because, you know, I lost my, my income, yeah. my business. So now I'm out, we're out one income and now we have medical expenses on top. And, of and a lot of insurances cap out after a certain yeah, point. Yeah, right. so they Another. cap out and then, and then you're stuck with the, you know, the 80-20 rule or whatever it is for insurances. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, insurance here in the United States is, is really rough. But that said, I still, we're better than other countries, which is ridiculous. But, right. yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had to refinance our house. Um, when things were really bad, my sister, um, she hired a nanny for us, which was a lifesaver at that yeah, time. All kids. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and, but the thing is, is my financial situation, it's no different than thousands of others. And so, mm-hmm. um, but that's also why we started react 19 mm-hmm. is, is to try to figure out how we can make a, a safe haven for these people. And so, what we did in the fall of 2021, after we realized the government was not going to do their job, uh, even though they promised us they would, uh, we realized that if anyone was going to fix this, it was going to be ourselves. So we started a proper not- nonprofit, Joel Walscog, who's an injured um, mm-hmm. He's a doctor, right? Yeah, I've seen him. I've, I've, not, I've not talked to him. I do plan to, but I know he was an orthopedic surgeon, correct? Orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. So he and I started this organization with an incredible board. Um of injured people that are, you know, they're injured and they have really good credentials. I mean, we have a lawyer, oh, yeah. um, financial responsibility, a nurse practitioner, uh, a couple of researchers. And so we we wanted to do what needed, what the government should be doing. So uh, anyway, so the goals for REACT 19 is uh, to support people financially, um, physically, and also emotionally. And so the emotional support obviously comes from providing good uh, support groups and communities yeah. for these people. And also we have a mental health network that these people can, can access. So important. I see people on yeah. Twitter talking about suicide, threatening suicide because of their, their they just, they're getting gaslit everywhere and they're just, they don't know what to do. And they're, it's so such a hopeless situation for a lot of people. 
Yeah. So the, the suicide stuff, I mean, it's, it's daily that we hear from, from these people and, and, you know, I get it. I was there myself. Um, I w- the only reason I'm alive is because of my husband and because I was too sick to do it. So, um, but it's, and it's one thing that it's kind of strange because you think about suicide and you're like, oh, that's so taboo. You shouldn't talk about that. But we learned pretty early on that we needed to talk about it. And these people need to be allowed to talk about how mm-hmm. bad it is because right. without it, they're just holding it in and they're just going to isolate themselves. And Absolutely. Have- You've got to acknowledge it because these people yeah. many times feel that there's, they've got nothing to live for. I, I, I think life's valuable every single day. Okay. As a Christian, you know, I, I do believe life matters every single day, but there are people who feel as if tomorrow is not going to be better than today. So what oh, is the point anymore? And you want to talk to those people and you want to prevent them. Say, no, many people still love you and need you. Please don't do that. And they need that network of support and they need to be acknowledged that their feelings are legitimate. They feel hopeless. So let's work on that. Yeah. So and the problem with um, the injuries is when you're at your worst and your body is being completely attacked by your own immune system, it is the worst sensation I've ever experienced in my life. And there is no break. There is no amount of oxygen or any other crazy medicine out there that even comes close to touching it. So these people, when they say they want to die, it's really because they just don't want to be tortured anymore. Correct. Correct. So what we've, what we've kind of, you know, we've been telling them, look, I promise you the worst is going to get better. It's going to get better. Um, time will do it. The right medications and the right doctors will do it, but we've got to get these people to the right doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have been able to save a lot of lives, but the sad reality is, is we've lost a lot too. Um, and it's, and that's one thing that actually it haunts me. It really does is, is, um, that we can't save everybody, you know? Um, and the fact that we're doing the government's job for them and, you know, anyway, so, but let me stop support. you there because that's important what you yeah. just said. And I want you to know as as a talk show host for 25 years, uh, when I first got into the business, I felt as if, you know, if I just get on the air and talk about City Hall, I'll fix everything, right? But you, yeah. you realize pretty quickly after you talk about the same clowns for decades and the things don't change, that you do what you can with what you have while you're here. That's all you can do. And yeah. you, there's a... There's a great, um, I don't know what your spiritual is, you know, situation is, but there's a great uh, quote that Chuck Colson had in one of his books where he said, and I'm paraphrasing, if you feel as if at the end of the day, you feel like what you're doing isn't making a difference, understand that we're called to be faithful. We're not called to solve every problem. We're called to be faithful. So don't beat yourself up. You are doing the best you can with what you've got while you're here. That's all you can do. And I know you want to take all of these people under your wing like a little mother hen and 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 take care of all of them. I know you do as a mother and as a wife and as a caring person. You can't. You just do what you can. So don't beat yourself up. Just do that. You know, doing the you're doing an amazing job as it is. So just want to give you that bit of encouragement. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And especially, you know, just because there's there's nothing for these people. Right. So with the financial support, we've actually we've been able to kind of put, you know, a little bit of the rubber to the road on this, which is pretty exciting. Um, so we implemented a care fund and I'm sure you've seen it where they, these people, they all have GoFundMes and mm-hmm. give and goes and they're all trying to get these, this money to pay for their medical. Oh, yeah. But what we've learned is largely what happens is the people with the injured people with the big notoriety and the big platform, they're the ones that get the donations and then everybody mm-hmm. else doesn't get anything. So right. we started this fund and it's, you know, um, it's, we've raised uh, a little over $650,000 at this point, wow, 100% of the money that goes into that fund goes into the hands of the injured. So 
um, to show this a little bit of a, you know, the government failed. Um, the federal government has paid uh, $8,600 to date to people that were injured by COVID vaccine. $8,600. Total for four people. So just to juxtapose that right now, as of right now, we've issued 86 grants and, um, and that's been in a total of over $560,000. And wow. that's just 100% independent, you know, um, fund. Um, and it's, and the reason why is because we understand every single dollar that comes into this organization, somebody needs it. So we're right. 100% volunteer. Nobody pulls a salary in this joint. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want a single dollar to go um, to waste because mm-hmm. um, I know and I've seen firsthand what happens when this money gets pooled and gets into the hands of somebody who needs it. We've been able to get kids kids literally out of wheelchairs, Ugh. kids out of diapers. Um, we've been able to get adults out of their sick beds um, and and back to a certain measure of living, so they That's can. Great. Yeah. So, you know, so there, so there is hope and there is a way that everyday people can get involved and they can make a difference. And it doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes talking about this in a way that, you know, will open people's hearts and minds. And then also, if you have some money, donate it, you know, Um, the average donation that we have come in is $86. And -hmm. so we take that money and we pull it together, just like a big GoFundMe. And, uh, and then we're able to issue those grants out to people that are in financial and physical. That's needs. fantastic. Now they can do that through, through react19.org, right? They go there and they can donate yep. the money. Yeah, react19.org slash donate, or um, there is a text to give number. So if you text the word react okay. to the number 50155, okay. then it'll send you a little text message with a okay. link to, to then donate through our secure platform. Okay. It works pretty slick. You can use your credit card and okay. just like anything else. But Well, I'm glad you started the React 19 with the other people, as you mentioned. I think it's important because you can't trust the big media wants to shut you down constantly, you know, between Twitter and Facebook and Vimeo, all these different things. They, they, anytime they can shut you down, they'll do it. And so God bless you. It's, I'm, I'm so glad to meet you. You have been my hero for a long time. I have watched you and seen your testimony and, and uh, seeing what you've done. And, you know, you could have just, you know, curled into a ball and said, I'm not going to deal with this, but you're trying to help people every day. And you've just shown so much courage in a tough situation. And I just, I salute you. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. That's Brie Dressen. And uh, God bless her. She has been amazing. This is Don't Shrink Back. I'm Heidi Harris. I hope you enjoyed that. Please tell somebody about it. We're just starting this now, this project. I've been doing talk radio for 25 years, and I still am, but I'm starting this new project. So please spread the word. Let people know about it. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things, some vaccine injuries and things like that, but obviously a lot of other cultural, spiritual, moral issues on Don't Shrink Back. So please uh, let somebody know. Check out don'tshrinkback.com. You can contact us there, etc. So in the meanwhile... Remember, God's in charge and don't shrink back.